welcome to a new episode of SSVM's EduTalk. Today, we have Dr. Kanegi here with us. She is a popular and extremely successful gynecologist in Coimbatore. And a gynecologist is perhaps, um, you know, the only professional where a woman from her adolescence to her lifelong journey as a mother and beyond can freely discuss the issues uh, pertaining to her well-being. This is truly a very noble uh, role in the medical profession. And as our guest today, Dr. Kaneki, has in fact uh, been experienced in her profession for more than 30 years and has limitless knowledge in women's health and well-being. Doctor, thank you very much for making your presence here with us today. Thank you, Sirisha, for that very kind and nice words. <laughs> I don't know if I deserve all of them. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. Okay, so we're excited to learn from you. Sure. And uh, so beginning with the first uh, question, adolescence is a critical uh, link between childhood and adulthood. Okay. And it's a phase where uh, particularly adolescent women mm -hmm. um, face significant physical and psychological and social transitions. So, doctor, how would you suppose we uh, can positively influence the immediate and future health of young women? Yeah. Uh, see, the basis of um, a good adolescent, an adolescent transforming into a very uh, sensible, normal adult depends on the parents. So, the, first of all, the background should be a very st strong parent uh, parenting uh, attitudes, you know, uh, bonded parents, uh, especially uh, you must always know that the child has antenna and uh, is always observing you. Uh, you may suppose there is a fight between the couple, the antenna or on, and though the couple may think it's only a child may not know something and it's something, every ins um, instance is absorbed and processed and used later on as a reference. So it practically models on the mother and father. So that's the first, the mother and father should have a very good bonding and be a joint uh, parenting rather than uh, each one saying something. So the one thing is the parenting background. The second thing, the three important things in adolescence are one, physical growing up. So it's a kind of an awkward a period where, you know, there's, there's growth in height and there are other things happening around the body, the hair growth and the, um, the breast development especially, and suddenly the deluge of a menarche. Right. So actually, scientifically, uh, it is first the breasts that start growing um, around, uh, it's called thalarche, and it's around eight to 10 years. So you learn, you see the difference between a male child and a female child happens at that stage. Mm -hmm. And at this uh, may bother the little girl, you know, they're after a little girl still. And they may say it's abnormal and they come and, uh, you know, they come to us saying, uh, the parent brings saying this, uh, she hit, was hit with the ball there and the, it's swollen and actually it's the growth of the breast. And number two in that uh, telarche is, um, the unequal size. Sometimes they're so worried that, uh, you know, one side is grown smaller. And so you all that needs is reassurance and take the focus away from uh, what the child thinks is 
a problem or an abnormality. So say it's normal. Okay, it's like happening to everybody of your age. That's a way to take it across. So that's about the breast development. And little later, when about 17, 18, there's a lot of thing about breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So all these girls, 17 and 18, they come and land and say they think they have a tumor there. And, you know, they come with as though they are pronounced with a death sentence and the mother is equally worried. And all you know is just the breast tissue itself very often feels like a nodule, you know. Right. So here again, reassurance and take the focus away from the problem. Then coming to the physical, they're very lanky. You see the girls, some of them put on a lot of weight, some of them grow lankier. So the awkwardness of not fitting into a child or not fitting into an adult is there. And that's again, it's a very passing thing. But some people, they don't converse. They are feeling, um, you know, bad to join a family group and discussions about their uh, whatever. So that's uh, the physical growing up. And the physical growing up has to be attended with a good nourishment and good exercise. So nutrition and exercise are two fo focuses where the parents have to give very good nutrition, especially for the growing girl. And uh, also, but at the same time, not to overfeed her. I've seen like grannies okay. saying you're not plump enough, you're uh, thin, you're skinny and all those things. And say, oh, maybe you have tuberculosis, you're looking so skinny. The other way around, you know, the, the overweight child is uh, said, oh, looking very healthy. So ideally look at their BMI and find out what their ideal weight should be. And uh, plan the nutrition accordingly. It may be not the same for all the children, but basically good proteins, good calcium, and enough carbohydrates because there's a lot of activity. And you find also nowadays, modern day, they go into eating disorders, uh, isn't it? You yeah. must have encountered yes. a yes. lot in your group. <laughs> yeah. It's called anorexia nervosa. Mm -hmm. They want to be slimmer and slimmer and slimmer. So it becomes a disease and uh, of the pituitary and you have to treat them, you know, to get them out of it. It affects their menstrual cycles. They may go for loss of menstruation for even months together. So that's anorexia nervosa. On the other end, you have the overweight child who's, uh, who may land after menarche in a polycystic ovarian disease, especially if there has been a family history of diabetes, obesity, and family history of PCO itself, then you have to watch out that child's weight, give enough exercise. Don't limit her eating, rather give her more exercise. And also, of course, avoid no, no to junk foods, you exactly, know. Yeah. That's a very important. Make exercise a routine. routine. That's, I think uh, that will look at the physical part. And then the, uh, the sexual part is, again, a very... Uh, you have to handle it with kid gloves. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very difficult uh, to explain to, say, a 10-year-old. Nowadays, children attain menarche, girls attain menarche at the age of 10. Okay. So how do you tell that girl about, uh, you know, sex and the, uh, you know, the how to be careful about in the society? She becomes uh, sort of, uh, what to say, inhibited. When you put too much of it in, then she doesn't talk to a boy. She feels... Uh, she must keep away, which is not, again, healthy. In the modern-day world, people have to mix, and there's no question of segregation 
Uh, I think in the schools also, there's a lot of co-education. You can't keep the girls and the boys separate. They have to mingle, but in a very healthy way. Mm -hmm. So this little kid has to be taught. There has to be a course of sex education in schools. They have to know their body parts uh, and how they grow and how they what is menstruation and not to be ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are so many problems that occur with menstruation, like excess of flow or pain, uh, which has to be handled by proper <clears throat> counseling. Right. And um, this is one thing. Then there's the question of the abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, there are close family members even who can abuse a child. And the child very often feels ashamed to take it up to the parents. So I think that's where the school and the teachers, uh, you know, forum in the school, uh, looking at these things and pick up those children. Normally what happens is if they are abused, they become distant, they avoid friends and, you know, that kind of, they, there's a change in the profile of the child. And picking it up and proper counseling and awareness, even preventing it from happening is the first step. But if you, I mean, it's difficult to find where the attack will come from. Exactly. It can come from the family, it can come from, uh, the servants who are around. I've known. Uh, I've known a young girl who's been abused from. She's a, a big officer's daughter. She's been abused from the age of four or five by because she was left alone in the house with the, you know, with the people, and uh, the elder, the elderly men abused her, and later on her own uh, family, close cousins. And it was, she was a disaster at the age of 17 or 18 when she came and she came out with this uh, to me for help, so you know. And the horror, she told me, I never believed that it could happen, but it had happened to her. So this is some big eye opener, which you must look at every act of the child and find out they're scared to come up with it that's the bottom line you know I asked her why did you not tell your mother exactly. oh, how, how will I tell my mother she'll scream at me or uh, she'll uh, this thing or my father he'll get upset so it was kept at in a young age she did not know what was happening but when she became aware she there was a lot of fear and shame about it you know so this is the main one of the important things that happens in, uh, you know, adolescence uh, when they're growing up. And there is also this uh, confusion about sexuality. Mm -hmm. See, um, we, we are not so com commonly accepting uh, alternate uh, behavior in our society. Right. Though, though abroad, you know, it's, uh, you know, they don't have any shame about it. Whereas here, what you have to understand, if there is there are tendencies detected, then it's not something of a crime or it's not, they're not abnormal. Exactly. In their own mind, their mental, uh, in their own, the mental sex is the opposite of what their bodily sex and they cannot help it. They cannot change it's it. Biological. So it has yeah. to be understood, dealt with, not made fun of. And um, it has to be picked up also, you know, to give help and it's a very uh, difficult area because you don't know how to deal with it in adolescence. But maybe proper counseling, guidance and help groups are there. So these are the things I see very often in 
adolescence. It happens also in the, it's not only the boys, it's also the girls, the same right. sexuality, sexual identity is mm -hmm. confused. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think it's a wide range of, uh, you know, things to think about, yes. uh, especially considering the adolescence period. Yes. And not just for the children, but also for the parents and how uh, conscious they oh, have yes, to be. Oh yes, it's more difficult yes. for the parents. Exactly. Yeah. And during changes like these, uh, they have to accept and that acceptance exactly is uh, something a difficult i think it's a difficult thing for the parents to also go through but then uh, that mindset to embrace is embrace, i think really accepted take counseling take yes. help there's a lot of help available exactly only thing don't shroud it and make it worse exactly. that's the thing so thank you for that doctor mm -hmm. and uh, i believe this is a very different era and mm -hmm. we are in a period where um, you know maintaining social distancing or, um, you know, having these different social and uh, emotional habits, um, you know, these are all of utmost importance mm -hmm. for the healthy um, well-being of a young woman mm -hmm. or any uh, youngster for that matter. And for example, um, social media, mm -hmm. I think is a great influencing factor yeah. uh, in many ways. And uh, it influences these young women in a way where a lack of body positivity um, comes in and has created, uh, like you mentioned, eating disorders mm -hmm. or, um, you know, right from alcohol abuse to other habits, mm -hmm. um, negative habits that they could embrace or comparing themselves to another woman and yeah. saying uh, to a model or yeah. a perfect looking body and yeah. kind of uh, body shaming themselves mm -hmm. and not being able to accept uh, what, they, what are. they are. And... How I think this uh, tend to uh, I mean they do not tend to realize that it has long term effects in mm -hmm. terms of their um, health and um, also it could affect fertility for mm -hmm. that matter. So, how would you guide um, this generation of young women uh, regarding this matter? Uh, I think first of all they have to accept what they are. You mm -hmm. know, be honest and don't be ashamed. Don't uh, have comparisons. Comparisons are the basis of all these things. I want to be like the model. I want to be a figure like that. And they stop eating. And as I told you, anorexia, nervous. Another uh, thing is also the society should not look at somebody with skin color. Yeah. And uh, you heard a lot about that on opera mm -hmm. <laughs> interview. Yes. So it's more so here. I mean, uh, to opera, that was a very... Uh, Stunning question, what is it going to be the skin color of the baby? But then in mm -hmm. our setup, when every time we deliver the child, the first question is, Dr. Vellayangla Karpar Kangla, you know. <laughs> That's the first question that is asked. And they go digging around the ear to see what the ear <laughs> color is, because that's the color that's going to be. So and true. then all babies are pink and cute. <laughs> so it's very difficult for to them. And, you know, they're so confused. And so it's like that. The skin color is probably the first thing in our Indian society. And uh, now I think we are coming over that. No more people are using fair and lovely. And they are accepting black is beautiful or brown is beautiful, whatever. Yeah. So that's one thing. And because of the education and empowerment and the discovery of other skills in a girl, mm -hmm. she takes off this label of being beautiful or being fair, all that is secondary. It becomes secondary. 
she's good. She's doing her uh, well in her uh, course. She's becoming a skilled person. She's got soft skills. All that becomes more beautiful than uh, the, uh, the physical beauty. I mean, nothing to be shunned about, but at the same time, not to be shame, ashamed about. Exactly. So these are even shortness, you know, the height. Mm -hmm. So they are still very confident. I see the youngsters, they're not bothered about whether they're tall and, uh, or short. They are confident about themselves. So education, I think, uh, brings about, and the attitudes of uh, the peer group also uh, makes that, uh, you know, compensates for that, you know. And uh, so that's about uh, how they are physically looked at. And the other thing you were asking about is um, one thing is about the physical appearances and mm -hmm. comparing themselves with yeah uh, comparisons. Yes. Uh, no more. It doesn't matter really mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. The other thing you were mentioning about abuse of uh, drug abuse, yes. right? Now I was really shocked to find some videos and it came up in our WhatsApp University about. I mean, there were videos of school kids in uniforms sharing a bottle of uh, a drink, an alcoholic drink in a, you know, somewhere, you know, in a hidden place. Mm -hmm. I was shocked. It, they were, it was not from any urban area. It was mm -hmm. the way they were speaking and the way it looked. It is from an urban. So alcohol and I'm sure drugs also should be circulating in this way. And I used to think before, long before, drugs belong to the city and, uh, I mean, the villages mm -hmm. are not so. But then you find drugs are sold everywhere. In my own town in Palachi, long back, not now, mm -hmm. 20, 30 years ago, there used to be spots selling uh, drugs to these, uh, you mm -hmm. know, there used to be peddlers there. Mm -hmm. So then it's widespread, it's not known, but it is widespread. So this again has to be, see, mostly it's guided by the peer group. Okay. It, de it depends on the peer group. And I think also in the school, you have to identify who are the people who may lead the, the less innocent, the gullible ones mm -hmm. to, um, you know, yes. to abuse. Uh, I think things. this is very much like conformity. So just following exactly. uh, the rest exactly. of the Exactly. Very often yeah. it's peer pressure. Mm -hmm. And you try, it's, it's a question of trying it, you know, exactly. and then uh, getting home. And of course, there are bigger elements watching these, you know, mm -hmm. and taking them in, uh, sucking them into the vortex of drug abuse. Correct. So drug abuse, alcohol is more easily available. And, <laughs> you know, this video really shocked me. School kids, um, maybe be 11, 12, 13, that age group, sitting and having fun and passing the bottle around. It was really a shocker to me, you know. So that's one thing. The other thing is the social media. Yes, it is. It is the plus and the minus. Now, the social media is going to take this message right. to the thing. So that's the plus thing. But, the you know, the other side of it, especially, um, uh, I mean, this, uh, whatever happened in my town, Polachi, mm -hmm. the abuse that have right. uh, involved about 200 girls, mm -hmm. all college, college kids and school, school final people. And it was all through social media. They linked to each other. These uh, the, the the boys who were targeting them went through the social media, the Facebook profile, and getting friends on the Facebook. And it goes on. And nowadays everything is Instagrammed, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's no privacy about thing. And uh, 
it's easy for people to spot and pick and target and uh, use them. So I think social media, you have to be, again, very careful. It can't be policing by the parents all the time. You exactly. Know? It's impossible. You can't, uh, it be, uh, I mean, they have to watch. But the child or the girl has, has to, to have it in herself to know where to draw the line. Exactly. That is very important. They have to definitely use it in the right way. Exactly. You can't be off yeah. social media yes. uh, nowadays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But again, where to draw the line is the most. And how much you reveal yourself is also very, very important. important. Yes. You know? Very true. Thank you for that, doctor. And yeah. uh, while we're talking about this, I also wanted to know um, what kind of nutrition and food habits are um, in, should these young women undertake uh, to be healthy in this period? Okay, so that's a very pertinent question because our South Indian diet is carb-rich, you know. <laughs> and unless you balance it off with that kind of exercise, it's going to put on extra layers of fat on any girl. So probably more protein should be included because protein is a very... And whatever is available locally, you don't have to go for fancy stuff or buy powders, protein powders... Take milk. Milk mm -hmm. is definitely essential in the growing period. It has calcium. It has all the essential fatty acids, and it has uh, the uh, the cub, uh, the protein also there. Okay. So the protein is uh, milk is a very wholesome food. Milk, eggs also similarly. So there's no need to shun these as uh, you know that those things which will add mm -hmm. weight. You have to have it, but at the same time, whatever is being eaten has to be balanced off by an exercise a schedule. A game is an excellent thing to share, you know. Exactly. A game of yeah. uh, tanikoit or uh, shuttle is an excellent way. Swimming or even play jogging, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, walking is for the older people. <laughs> for the younger people, it's more put on your shoes and do a 5K trek yeah. <laughs> and, count, you know, you have those fancy watches. Exactly. Which, uh, so, I mean, that's a very good, nice thing around. So, protein, carbohydrate, they must take adequate minerals also. Mm -hmm. And when you take our South Indian diet, except that there's a lot of carb, the other things are very well balanced. You have good dals, you have vegetables, you have micronutrients, you have antioxidants. So, our South Indian diet is good, except that the carb is yes. slightly in excess. Mm -hmm. So with that, you take the reed leaf, for example, has one third protein in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, our dal is always, you add the dal to the thing. Uh, a certain amount of fat is necessary. So you add ghee for your certain thing. Don't avoid and uh, beat this. Just take a balanced diet and watch your weight. Keep your BMI at around 23. For the yeah. Indian woman, it's around 23. So the weight height balance, if it's always checked on, then I think it's uh, our diet is with a bit of milk and eggs is fine. If there's non-vegetarian, well, well and good. But never excess of anything. You exactly. Know. Avoid junk foods. It's more than what you take, what you should not take. That's very is, true. Uh, you know, especially yeah. with the Feed um, home deliveries. <laughs> yes, I find you know hardly they eat at home. Mm -hmm. Even though food is cooked, they they love to order and so maybe once in a way, but not everyday yes. routine. Very true. And of course, fresh fruits and vegetables, which are available in plenty, and never for the fancy. Go buy the locally available fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. and have them. You know, that's wonderful. Thank yes. you for sharing that, doctor. Yes. It's very helpful, and. Um, in the past decade, I think India has succumbed to um, high numbers of anemic uh, 
Yes. Adolescence. Yes. And so the low iron deficiency or mm. like having iron deficiency has caused uh, probably severe period Anemia. cramps yeah. and um, irregular menstrual cycles yes. as well. So accord and I've come through this um, in the empirical uh, mm. research studies as well. And uh, what can be done to mm -hmm. avoid these uh, rising numbers? And does it have an effect on women uh, getting pregnant in the later stages as yeah. well? So anemia is purely uh, nutritional and due to other parasitic infections in mm. our uh, Indian setup. So if the diet is not rich in iron, uh, protein, see basically for making the blood hemoglobin, mm -hmm. you need globin, which is the protein, and heme, which is the iron. So a diet with iron and a diet with globin, uh, with protein, is a balanced diet to combat anemia. Mm -hmm. Now, where do you get the iron from? It's very simple resources we have. Uh, our own Murugakira, mm -hmm. the drumstick leaves, yeah. they are very rich sources of iron and protein. So simple diet like adding a Murungakira to the girl's diet is going to take care of her iron requirements. The other thing, protein is again, egg and milk are proteins. But the, way, the reason why many school-going kids, especially in the social, lower socioeconomic group, are anemic is because they have worm infestations. Say so they walk from bare feet and the, the roundworm climbs in through the, uh, the feet and it reaches the gut and takes off all the iron. So she lands with anemia. So the first thing we do when we find severe anemia is deworm them, mm -hmm. you know. So de the education, proper education about wearing shoes, not to walk bare feet mm -hmm. is, uh, and of course, even more primary to that is avoid open defecation. Ah. See, that's where the whole chain starts. So that's uh, anemia is a parasitic infestation is very common and we often, we have to, in the school probably, in the school health program, you can have them checked out for these uh, anemia. You know, simple looking at the eyes or the skin or the nails mm -hmm. will tell, uh, severe anemia can be easily picked up. Mm -hmm. And of course, a plain prick test and hemoglobin, we can pick out these girls. Okay. And uh, you can advise them course of iron, mm -hmm. tablets, simple tablets over the course of a few months will correct it, deworm them and give them and check again. Mm -hmm. So this was a very, um, I mean, this is a very important topic because these anemic girls go on to become young mothers. I mean, they get in the lower socioeconomic group, they are married off early, they start off pregnancy with anemia, like 5 grams and 6 grams where it should be 11 to 12 grams. And their uh, child, their, the child is also smaller, the baby is smaller, mm -hmm. born prematurely. And God help if they have a hemorrhage during bleeding during pregnancy. The highest maternal deaths occur in this group. One of the causes, important causes is anemia. So I think there is a huge responsibility uh, for the society, for the healthcare people, for everybody to see that this girl in her adolescence is not anemic mm -hmm. and she enters her phase uh, of uh, marriage or motherhood with a proper hemoglobin. So, and uh, I, we had a pet program mm -hmm. like, um, you know, picking up the anemia mm -hmm. in the lower, uh, in the schools where, where there are a lot of lower socioeconomic group children are there and making 
somebody sponsored them okay. for the iron tablets. Mm-hmm. So, like, even we thought if we could ask a, a, you know, a girl from a upper socioeconomic, sponsor this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a very Any nice talent, social yes. thing. And she gets corrected. She feels gratified. So this is one of, I think, your school can <laughs> take up things like this and yes. do a social thing. Well, it's it can start off in a small way and go about it. Definitely. So that's yeah. very important. The very pertinent question you asked mm-hmm. about anemia, how it can lead even to maternal death. Exactly. So that's, that's great, doctor. Uh, we've definitely learned a great deal from what you've shared. Thank you shared. And, uh, you know, these days more and more youngsters are... Um, considering sustainable practices, mm. eco-friendly practices mm-hmm. um, in their lives. Mm-hmm. And keeping this in mind, uh, we know that menstrual cups mm-hmm. are a way of uh, way to sustainable menstruation. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just wanted to ask, are they safe? And if not, uh, what is a better product to use? Okay, coming to that, the lot of what are the options? Mm-hmm. We have the standard menstrual napkin, sanitary napkin. Mm-hmm. Then we have the tampons, mm-hmm. and then we have the menstrual cups. And many of the rural people still use cloth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And in the sanitary napkins, there's a new group that has come in cloth napkins, mm-hmm. which are very really the in thing with the eco-friendly people. Mm-hmm. So. Now, regarding the cups are good, mm-hmm. but the problem of inserting them in a person who is not uh, exposed to intercourse or a delivery mm-hmm. may be difficult. Exactly. You know, it may be a um, little not too friendly a thing, but there are people who use it mm-hmm. uh, even in uh, this cup sizes are smaller, can be used. But again, the hymen and the breaking of it and the insert, it all becomes a little... <laughs> difficult uh, issue, you know. So maybe the young girls uh, stick to sanitary napkins. Mm-hmm. Tampons, yes, they were. They are used by a lot of people, especially in the West. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of girls are using tampons. But the problem with the tampons is the forgotten tampon. You know, there is a, a, the very serious thing of a septicemia, you know, it can breed because it's blood mm-hmm. and any blood stagnant outside the body is a good medium for the bacteria to multiply. So suppose she leaves the tampon in the vagina, the last tampon maybe, or something happens as a crisis and she forgets to remove it or something like that. The tampon left behind is a very nice factory for all these bacteria and it gets into the blood in the form. It can be, it can be endanger life also. Wow. So tampon is... Uh, you, you know, you have to be very, <laughs> very, very careful yes. in using that. Yes, it can be used. But here again, insertion in a young girl may be a little traumatic or not very aesthetic for herself. Mm-hmm. So, so we go back to the sanitary napkins. The hygiene of washing, it's more than what they use. Mm-hmm. How clean they keep themselves is very important. Maybe that's what the school uh, also should show some pictorial mm-hmm. demonstrations of how they should keep themselves clean and wash and change frequently, keep their um, you know panties very clean. And um, so if they're using the cloth napkins also, well and good, but how to yes. uh, wash them and maintain them. Is important. And it's regarding nice. the socioeconomic, lower socioeconomic group, the group girls of that, they are, now we have the uh, one 
Mr. Muruganandam, who was uh, popular with his cheap sanitary pads. Mm -hmm. You know, he's uh, made, uh, he's got machines which make pads for one or two rupees, mm -hmm. you know, even lesser than that. So he's doing it like a social project. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is, uh, should be more promoted and we could use those kind of resources for these people who cannot afford to use the regular uh, commercially available napkins. Very true. Thank you so much for throwing light on that, doctor. Okay. It's very useful. And, um, you know, moving on to uh, parenting children through mm -hmm. uh, puberty. Adolescence. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a very pivotal part of raising an adolescent. Then, so how can mothers um, help their children during this important transitional phase? Oh, as I said already, the body, the knowledge teaching her about the body, the changes that might have. First of all, I think they must become friends rather than a parent and a child. So take it very casually and discuss across the table or cash, very, very casually right from childhood. Actually, you start not at adolescence, mm -hmm. but even at five, six years about teaching them about the wrong touch, the good touch and the bad touch. So you get into a platform where the child comes and tells you whatever happens and says, Mommy, uh, she's uh, got her menses, what does that mean? So no, 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 you don't talk about it or no, no, shoo, don't make it a taboo. Discuss it openly, discuss it with a lot of things are there on the right. media. You can show the child and uh, get, uh, you know, get a... So the freeness of conversation should be there and either... You know, a child might come and say, I find that guy nice. So don't say, no, you can't do that. Just go get into, be a, be a friend to that child. And in the process, they will learn to tell everything to the parents. Now, when there is no taboo, when there's no punishment, naturally the, there's a free flow and there's a confidence building, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that happens there. And in that, you, the, the parent can tell about the sexual problems, what uh, can happen. And even if there are, you know, um, at the see at 15 and 16, the hormones are running high. It's very difficult for, uh, to harness it, right. you know, to, mm -hmm. so maybe direct them more to sports. When you find the child is bursting with energy and a lot of puberty changes are happening, directing the energy to sports sort of will quell these kind of, uh, abnormal feelings, but it, it happens, you know. Okay. So they ask about all kinds of questions. Nothing is a taboo. Mm -hmm. Explain to them scientifically and tell them how to overcome these kind of uh, situations and give them a lot of sports activities. I think that's it's very, very important. important. But because what happens at 15 to 16 is they are bundled with the down with the books. Mm -hmm. You know, there's plus one, there's plus two and competition and there's no time for even running around the house. I think right. that should, you have to give them a little bit of uh, physical, physical activity. activity. It's very true, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think, you know, in the light of uh, Safe Motherhood Day, I would like to um, ask you a few questions on that. Um, motherhood, personally, I feel is uh, a very beautiful thing, a yes. divine uh, thing any woman can experience yeah. and doctor we would like to hear um, your view on the importance of motherhood and how it can impact children yeah motherhood is some extremely exclusive to women mm -hmm. 
and it's a, it's a big thing which the man cannot do, you know. And it's a long journey of nine months. It's filled with expectations as well as fear, you know, what's going to happen to the end. So if uh, as I told you, prepare, uh, make a healthy girl, she will become a healthy mother. So that's basic. So before there's something called preconceptional planning. Right. So what do you do if a couple decide to have a baby, mm-hmm. even then motherhood starts there. And uh, about uh, their vaccinations have they had, is there any uh, you know general health issues, especially diabetes, hypertension, thyroid issues, all that should be, they should undergo a basic checkup. And they, I mean, not so much in our country, but overseas alcohol, they must give up their alcohol and uh, whatever the drug abuse. And then any drugs they're taking for other conditions like epilepsy, mm-hmm. whether they should be changed. And so these are all the pre-pregnancy counseling. And if there is any genetic issues in the family, if there's a family history of some genetic disorder like hemophilia, then you there should be a proper counseling as to will it affect that particular uh, lady's child is uh, all this has to be assessed. Uh, and then they get into, they have their immunizations, rubella vaccination and so on, herpes, uh, hepatitis B vaccination. All the vaccination should be done and screening for any venereal disease. I mean, though it's a, a kind of a little dicey thing, but then better because uh, we do find mothers coming in early pregnancy. When we screen them, they are HIV positive or VDR positive, then there's a whole big um, thing to tackle there. So better have a full pre-pregnancy counseling, both for the male and the female, and then they go through this pregnancy. Then pregnancy, limit their sugars, junk food, everything, uh, a good proper diet planning, exercise and yoga, mm-hmm. all that will help kickstart a good pregnancy. Of course, when they become pregnant, they should first confirm it. Right. Now, they have this habit in our country but they say, don't go to the doctor till three months. <laughs> Let her, no, 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 you just stay at home. Or the Joshir says, don't go and, uh, for any checkup. So what, what can we miss out then? We can miss out a tubal pregnancy. She can land as, a, um, as an emergency with a tubal pregnancy having ruptured. So there could be twins. There could be abnormal pregnancies. So all that is missed out uh, when she comes later at, for the first booking. And now we are doing a very important thing called Down syndrome screening. We do not want Down syndrome uh, children to be born. So there are very effective methods of screening with the scan, with the double marker tests. So we can almost, uh, you know, weed, weed off the Down's pregnancy early, very early at the age of uh, 12 weeks, right. even 12 to 13 weeks. We can pick up a Down's and offer termination if they feel some people do not want termination, they go on, but at least we know that this is going to be a Down's baby and we can expect this, this, this has come. So that's the first three months thing. Then the second trimester or the next three months is again, we screen for all the sugars, the hemoglobin, mm-hmm. the period to correct all the deficiencies, thyroid, and of course, uh, pick up blood pressure elevations. And then we do the target scan at 20 weeks, which is uh, which is uh, specifically directed at picking up uh, abnormalities, like say heart abnormalities mm-hmm. or any brain issues or limb issues or kidney or any other issues. 
most often they are picked up at 20 weeks. Then the third trimester is one of, uh, you know, preparing for the journey. Right. And I find a lot of positive attitude helps, so a lot of exercise and, um, you know, these pregnancy classes are there, mm -hmm. which uh, teach them the right nutrition, attitude, talking to the baby, and so many things happen in the third trimester. And of course, they land in labor. Labor is a very, very important journey. The patient has to understand, not be scared about it, has to understand we are there to help. We are there to give them painless labor if they want. But at the same time, we want them to go into the natural process as much as possible. Now, sometimes there are turns that can happen which nobody expects, neither the doctor nor, you know, she may be a perfectly healthy patient. There's a sudden bleed and the whole thing takes. She becomes an ICU patient in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So we have to be prepared for um, all these eventualities. And it is, of course, the onus is on the um, healthcare people to pick up deficiencies, to pick up who is a high-risk woman, who is a low-risk. So we basically have a concept especially in the government health sector, who can be delivered at a primary health care, who can be delivered at a, who needs to be delivered at a uh, tertiary care. So all that labor can be very life-threatening also, but that's in a small percentage, very small percentage. If proper antenatal care is given, then the journey is smooth. Wow. And so, uh, is there um, an appropriate age range um, where um, yeah, you know, around a woman twenty-one can get to thirty-five is an age group where people can plan a pregnancy very comfortably. Mm -hmm. Too late, uh, it may it may delay pregnancy because mm -hmm. the the power of the ovary goes down after thirty-five. It starts mm -hmm. coming down. Forty, it's almost uh, stopping there. So, planning the pregnancy before nowadays we find. Uh, you know, women saying, I want to finish my career objectives. I want to have my house. I want to have my bank balance. I want to finish all the skill sets I want to learn and then go for the baby. So by then it may be, it happens in the West. Very often they start thinking of pregnancy only after 35. Mm -hmm. But in our group, in our ethnicity, uh, we better plan early. <laughs> you know, the ovarian reserve goes down very rapidly in Indian women. Oh. So so better they plan it much earlier than 35. And of course, uh, a lot of help there if they cannot conceive. And it can also be a male factor. So males mainly, I find a lot of, we've done some studies in Coimbatore. We found that uh, the lot of pollutants, mm -hmm. uh, we looked at um, uh, mainly zinc, uh, we looked at chromium, cadmium, and uh, lead. And we found that in infertile males, the cadmium level was very high mm -hmm. and compared to the normal males. And these people, where does the cadmium come from? Smoking, cigarette smoking, and um, from the foundry waste, which is quite a lot around Coimbatore. So smoking is one thing which the man has to stop. Smoking, alcohol, and any other drug abuse has to be stopped. And of course, he also needs to follow a very healthy lifestyle for the conception. If it doesn't happen within a year, then come and check out what is wrong. Is it an ovulation problem? Is it a tubal problem? Is it a uterine problem? Is it a male problem uh, with the sperms? Or is it a coital problem? So these are the things we check out when they come for the first 
infant, but generally try they should try to conceive between 21 to 35. 35. Yeah. That's an ideal age. Right? Yeah, that's an ideal that's age. Um, so everybody in our society actually has their own way of raising the children. Mm -hmm. And how does a parent identify what is the best uh, for their own child? Uh, and navigate through this. Okay, I'm just reminded of a, of a verse which says, a child is not a vase to be filled, but a plant to be grown, you know? So I, I mean, I think you have to identify what your, what is the pluses and minuses of your child mm -hmm. and never look at somebody else's child and more, try to mold it mm -hmm. in that way. So some children may have good artistic tendencies, good uh, in math, some may be good in mathematics, some may be good in sports. So nurture them in the field they are interested and they are good in. Right. So never try to put a square peg in a round hole. And that's where the whole problem starts. You know, never say you have to become a doctor or you have to become an engineer. No, there are so many avenues nowadays. Like each avenue is is so vast, okay. you know, you can really go somewhere with very simple topics, the subjects even. So find out what the child is good at, what the child likes, what the child is passionate about and groom in that way. I think that's the way to go um, in parenting nowadays, you know. It was very different in our days where my, my father said, uh, I was very interested in architecture. So he said, no way, what will an architect do? You have to do medicine. So, you know, almost I went crying into medical college. So that was, that's not the way to go, I think. You know? Yeah, I think you rightly mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, because at that time, there was nothing else, you know. But now so much of uh, scope is there. Very true, doctor. So, um, you know, in that sense, I also wanted to ask, uh, you know, these days we have a lot of women mm -hmm. who are, um, you know, conscious about their fitness, uh, mm -hmm. their body and exactly. um, doing weight training mm -hmm. and Pilates, yoga and so many different activities, Zumba, yeah. to, you know, whatnot, basically. Mm -hmm. So we're all like um, very energetic, wanting to uh, practice exercise every day and maintain a, yeah. a very uh, healthy and fit body. Yeah. So um, in terms of pregnancy, um, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the intensity of the workouts that have been experienced um, or have been exposed to before, uh, what would you suggest is the appropriate, um, uh, you know, exercise, uh, exercise or mm -hmm. should they maintain the same intensity or lower intensity of weight training, for example? Oh, really, actually, it would depend on the individual woman. Mm -hmm. Now, suppose she's a normal, healthy woman with a normal weight and going in with the, without any hiccups, mm -hmm. then she can do any form of, even a household work is exercise, you know. In the first three months, they may not be prone to exercising. There's nausea, vomiting. Uh, like, you know, the little dot is going to become something like a 12 mm. So it's enormous amount of energy that is tapped from the mother. Mm -hmm. So the first three months are, you know, she may even lose weight. So that's not the time to recommend exercise. Mm -hmm. But of course, somebody's feeling fit, well, walk. Mm -hmm. Do milder exercises, not vigorous ones. Then in the second trimester, she sort of, uh, you know, they've come to terms, the body, her and the baby, all are in, uh, they've come to terms. And then that's the time when they sh should slowly grade up the exercises. And walking alone can be a very good exercise. Of course, weight training is... 
uh, is not really the thing to go in in pregnancy. It's more like uh, you have to uh, do your pelvic flexion. You know, the, you have to become more flexible, right. especially in the low part of the body. So those kind of exercises, the pelvic floor exercises and strengthening the pelvic muscles become more important than weight training. Mm -hmm. But I just recommend a half an hour of walking morning, afternoon and evening. And it can be slow walking. It can be according to what they feel like. It may not. But don't lie down in bed like a sick patient. Now what happens? They become pregnant. Now it's it's a sickness. It's not so. And you have the other end, extreme other end of the spectrum where they work like how, like especially with the IT people, they work through the night, through the day, and it's a torture, you know, to see them they're sitting always. And so they have do complications of backache and, the, you know, the eyes opens, the, the, the mouth opens and so many other things, you know. So it has to be a balance between work. They need not stop themselves from their routine work. They can go ahead. But if you find her blood pressure is going up or her feet are swelling up or something is she's not uh, the baby's not putting on enough weight inside then she has to change the pattern she has to probably give up a more rest so it's highly individualized mm-hmm. but in general they have to exercise especially from the second trimester and in the third trimester there are specific exercises like you know i would say a very simple thing they need not even attend the classes swap the flow like what the old timers exactly, used to yeah. do. And I'm sure all, majority of them had a normal delivery. Mm-hmm. You know, sit, squat and swap the flow. Sweep the flow, swap the flow. I mean, don't overdo anything, but just do that. That is uh, yeah, like your butterfly or what you're doing, you know. So specific exercises to loosen the muscles in the third trimester. That's so, very true, actually. I think those days we, um, uh, you know, our parents or they anybody did a wouldn't lot have of work. Planned, They yeah. swapped the floors. <laughs> they uh, took water from the well. Things. So they, they, hit, they balanced themselves. Yeah. And then they churned the things. They were carrying so the pots. Carrying yeah. the pots. Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that was a lot of uh, thing. And they yeah. had very good food, uh, unadulterated, you know, very no true. toxins in the food. The air was good. So they gave birth so easily. But of course, there were there were problems, there were maternal deaths, which is significantly come down, mainly mm-hmm. because of the bleeding and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that, those were problems at that time. But majority went through mm-hmm. very easily, you know. So uh, when you mentioned about food, I was um, hoping to ask you, um, is there a wrong food habit, um, you know, that's going around in uh, pregnant women these days or, uh, you know, how should they uh, develop a healthy food habit? Should they focus uh, on an again, Ayurvedic diet? Having said, see, they should they should not eat very large meals. Mm-hmm. That What happens is they, they have a craving sometimes mm-hmm. and they have, they put a mound of rice and it's, it's just craving. But what happens when they have a large carbohydrate meal or a very sugary meal, mm-hmm. then um, there is a shoot up of the insulin. The body responds to bring down the glucose. The body secretes a lot of insulin and their sugars really go down Mm -hmm. and they feel faint. Mm -hmm. So this kind of eating a very large meal when they have a craving should be avoided. And otherwise, our regular, again, our diet is Mm -hmm. enough nutrients. We must add on a lot of fruits there and milk is definitely at least a liter of milk either as milk or as curds or as any of the dairy products, milk is essential, Egg, two eggs a day, 
and if they are they take non-vegetarian they can uh, take chicken or meat or whatever and if they are vegetarians lot of uh, pulses nuts nuts are very good sources of uh, essential fats so these are and don't we have the habit of adding sugars for everything you know? right yeah sugar in the milk sugar <laughs> in the holic holics yeah. is full of sugar boost is full of sugar so when i tell them uh, don't take plain milk no sugars doctor can i add boost <laughs> or doctor can i i mean that they're okay otherwise but not for the pregnant women and the second thing i find is they have this habit of bringing palagaram you know <laughs> all the sweets with the moment uh, the each one brings so every day is a huge feast and there is mysore pak and there's jalebi laddu halwa whatever and she's forced to eat mm-hmm. doctor in a vidave martin tanga while which shoot so all that should be avoided because uh, the high sugar and the low fall after that is very deleterious for the baby there can be uh, especially in a diabetic mother uh, there can be death of the baby inside you know oh so they should avoid eating a sugary stuff or sweets or whatever thank you for sharing that doctor i think uh, you beautifully mentioned that and it's definitely so important to consider that in so yes. many different ways and uh, i was wondering if you could uh, throw some light on um, the importance of breastfeeding and um, how the development of the brain a child's yeah. brain is correlated with yes. uh, breastfeeding uh, breastfeeding is uh, two important things one it has got a psychological aspect mm-hmm. it has a nutritive aspect Mm-hmm. nutritive aspect it has all the for the 3 months you don't have to give the baby anything else everything is there in the breast milk mm-hmm. so uh, there is apart from nutrition carbohydrates pro, proteins lot of essential fatty acids for the brain development is there and immunoglobulins those are the things which prevent infection in the baby right. and when there is immunoglobulins there's no infection the weight gain is the milestones everything come on well one infection and then the weight goes down and you know the milestone is delayed all those things so definitely definitely the first 3 months ideally only breast milk mm-hmm. and the bonding you know the it's a natural bonding when the baby suckles the mother the security is there you know it's like it hears the heartbeat of the mother close to the heart and it's like it's been in the womb you know it's come out imagine this baby who's been in a private aquarium all along swimming and you know its own world and suddenly it's brought out pulled out with the forceps or taken out by a thing and it's a whole new world it has to face and going back to the mother's breast is somewhere near what it was for 9 months and regarding brain development the majority of the brain development occurs from of course in utero mm-hmm. till the first year of life what is known as encephalization mm-hmm. so that happens in the first year that is um, what to say the extra cognitive skills and everything is that uh, which develops in the first year and that's promoted uh, breastfeeding forms an important uh, part to bring about that encephalization mm-hmm. so whatever you try to give the child as nutrition beyond that uh, you know you have so many say brain tonic that thing you eat this the brain the all the brain growth happens within that first year and breastfeeding forms an important part of that encephalization both psychologically and nutritively it has a lot of these uh, essential fatty acids for the brain development and the the feeling of uh, secureness the effect is there with the breastfeeding 
That's wonderful, doctor. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we talked about the age range before, um, you know, is there, um, now you mentioned that the appropriate age range would be 21 to 35. Yes. And, um, 21 what, to 35. Yes. So. And what, what happens uh, when uh, women get pregnant beyond uh, 35? Is there an uh, influence? Yeah, beyond uh, 35, one thing, sometimes it may be difficult to get pregnant even. Mm -hmm. Then there may be diseases that of mid maturity onset, diabetes, hypertension, mm -hmm. uh, little, uh, you know, those kind of uh, prematurity. Things can happen, especially if they're going beyond 40 and all. And Down syndrome, that's another yeah. very important thing. The risk of Down syndrome increases exponentially after the age of 35. Okay. So if a woman is, say a woman comes to me at 40 with a pregnancy, I I, I go gung-ho to make sure she does not have a Down's child. Right. And the way we do it, I told you, is mm -hmm. a first trimester screening right. or the target scan. And more so, and sometimes to be ex 100% confident. We have now the uh, non-invasive testing where we take the mother's blood mm -hmm. and look for fetal DNA. Okay. So that uh, we can pick up the downs up to 98 point or 99%. If we want to be 100% sure, then we do a tapping of the amniotic fluid and look for the baby's chromosomes there. Okay. That will tell us exactly whether, uh, you know, it's a no uh, downs is there or not. Yes or no, you get an answer there. So that's the primary concern when they get pregnant after 35 and the chance of Downs increases as the age increases. Mm -hmm. wow. So, um, you know, how should a family uh, support a pregnant woman? Uh, we mentioned, you know, there how are so many different myths. Um, yes. Uh, there are, uh, especially, uh, for example, a parent or a grandparent who's been experienced or exposed to certain yeah. things. And um, they sometimes try and enforce that on the new mom. So um, how should a family support? Yeah, it's a um, lot of conflicts can happen. My <laughs> grandmother grandmother will say, I had seven children. I did not even go to a doctor. Why go to a doctor? So there's one uh, school there. Mm -hmm. And here's the doctor saying, you do this, this, this. You do this blood test and you do this. And here's the uh, you know, pregnancy class instructor saying, you do this. So she's... She's getting a barrage of things on her, but balance it as usual. Um, take a, I mean, Granny's diet, what she followed is probably good. Mm -hmm. And they uh, never miss the checkup. What the family should take care of is taking her to the doctor periodically and doing all the tests and the checkup. That's very important because when a woman does not have checkup, when she's unbooked, her complication and her death, the death rate in that group is very high. The maternal mm -hmm. mortality is high. The perinatal, the baby dying is also very high. So important one is to check up, take up for a checkup. That's, that's, I think, the most important duty of the husband or the family. Then in the family, give her a good balanced diet, as we said, and keep the atmosphere very peaceful for her, right. you know. The mother-in-law factor and, you know, the duel between the families, all that you know, disturbs this poor little kid who's already ha having to take this on. And, uh, you know, mother-in-law saying something, a mother saying something, not to go to the mother's house, go, go in the seventh month, go in the fifth month, and you must come back immediately after delivery. You know, it's, don't tax her psychologically. Let her enjoy her pregnancy. And I think both sides of the family should support and help, and especially the husband. Very true. <laughs> That's wonderful, yes. doctor. Oh. And... Uh, 
You know, in terms of um, infertility, I yes. think, um, is there a rising issue uh, with that nowadays? Yeah, I and find the male infertility is on the increase. Mm -hmm. as uh, We do find a lot of decrease in the sperm count. And it may be because of the environmental pollution that happens. Mm -hmm. There's habits like smoking or even working with a laptop on, you know, it's supposed Very to true. decrease the count. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of occupational hazards, uh, the environment play it. In the lady, of course, the polycystic ovarian disease is very common. Mm -hmm. So the the guidance would be to keep an ideal BMI of 23. Right. I mean, it's easy to bring it down and then start a break. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if there's an issue of infertility and overweight, definitely the weight has to be tackled mm -hmm. first. And other issues can be checked up, the scan and the hormonal test and tube testing. So we can definitely help out. And there's so many high-tech stuff that is available, ART right. and everything. Yeah. So only thing, they should seek help within a year after marriage mm -hmm. if it's not happening. And okay, take it in a slow or a fast pace according to that. A lot of times there are social pressures. Like this morning, the couple came and said, my brother is getting married next month. So what if my younger brother? Mm -hmm. So what if uh, she conceives earlier than me? So doctor, do something. It's, so, it's such a desperate situation. They make it. So you have to counsel them properly and say, it's okay, let let things happen to them. You don't sit and uh, get worked up. Go in your pathway and try for the pregnancy. You know, mm -hmm. stress, being stress-free is very important. And, uh, uh, you know, eliminating family pressures. Yeah, and then, you just yeah, counsel them. You. Basically, counseling helps a lot. You know. That's great, doctor. And, uh, you know, we are in an era where, um, you know, tech devices are so handy and we keep using them yeah. very often. And will excessive uh, usage of tech devices, especially for pregnant women, um, have a negative uh, effect? What kind of devices? Um, uh, let's say, for uh, example, um, you know, if they're working, having a laptop mm -hmm. or, um, you know, phones, you know, mm. all having you know, oh, yes. to scroll through the phones all day. Uh, having all day. Yeah. So, you know, those are certain examples uh, or patterns we come across, um, you know, with women, uh, pregnant women, especially. So how um, uh, would this have a negative effect? Yeah, getting addicted to the phone is things which we don't want in pregnancy because they sit, they don't exercise and it's like couch potatoes they become, you know. Yeah. So definitely keeping screen time limited yes. is the most important thing of course they can watch some movie watch some just don't make it the whole day affair mm -hmm. don't go and binge on it mm -hmm. and um, at the same time you know there's the sometimes work for reasons of work they have to sit in front of a screen and again I think they have to balance it off tell their company or their employer look I'm pregnant you can give me only this many hours of work because they say they think you think work from home is easy, but actually work from home hard. is even more uh, taxing. And, you know, they don't have breaks. They are sitting there and always answering. So I think they have to change the pattern of working. Mm -hmm. They can definitely work, but not sit for two, three hours together. Mm -hmm. They should lie down for at least three, four hours during the day, apart from a good night's sleep, not take on night calls and things like that, you know. That is very important. That's great. Uh, so that's, and they often get headaches, you know, looking at the screen and uh, looking at the phone or whatever. They complain of headache and then we get worked up. Oh, why, why is she getting a headache? Yeah. Is her blood pressure up? And so many things are there. So 
balance of uh, the, uh, the screen time should be very limited and interspersed. That's right. very true. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as we move on to the last question, um, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, we, we've been very well aware of this term called postpartum uh, depression. Mm -hmm. And so uh, could you elaborate a bit on this? Oh, yes. Postpartum depression is, is something, it's a serious affair. Because um, one of my classmates, uh, she went and she was, uh, she got married, went to the U.S., delivered there, and she jumped out of the seventh floor in postpartum depression. So it's, it can be horrible. It can lead to suicide. They can throw their babies off. Uh, and I've had patients who just tripped and walked out of the room. Uh, I mean, they become, they totally, um, these were normal people, people who never had a hint of, anything that might happen to them late. So postpartum blues have to be, it is the, the onus is on the healthcare worker and the family mm -hmm. to identify them going into depression, to identify, not everybody goes into that, maybe less than a percentage goes. Those who have a family history and those who have had depression before uh, pregnancy, these are very likely people to go into things. But even a normal, very normal, without any such history, can go into a depression because that period is very, very taxing. They've mm -hmm. gone through a difficult labor or a cesarean thing, and they have to wake up night and day and feed the baby. So they lose sleep, and then they're worried whether the baby's okay or not. A lot of worries, especially in the first delivery, and the pain and everything. It's a lot of tax, uh, taxing stuff on them, and they can tip off, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, identify the depression, they withdraw and they don't eat and they, they, become, they have, un, uh, I mean, uh, like irrational fears that something will happen to the baby or things like that. So it has to be identified by the doctor or the family. If they suspect anything, they should take her to a psychiatrist and it can be treated very easily. Thank you for uh, beautifully saying that, doctor. And uh, I must say, I think we've learned so much from you. Oh, and sure. um, thank you for um, sharing all these uh, useful um, answers of and information for all of us to go through. And I think this is not just going to be helpful for uh, women, but uh, also uh, everyone else. And yeah, I the think the whole family, family should be aware it, of exactly. what uh, the health issues a woman can have yeah. and the child or the girl child can have. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for making Not your presence and sharing everything. Thank you. Thank you, <laughs> thank you doctor. Um, in fact, this was a very useful session and uh, I'm sure every woman watching this episode will learn a great deal from everything that you've shared. And in fact, the valuable information you've shared with us uh, is not just going to be helpful for the women, but also everyone else uh, who should play a supportive role uh, in the family. And my special thanks to everyone watching us. You've been an incredible audience. With that, it's me, Srisha Mohandas, signing off and see you in the next episode.